Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome to Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. Heading into Monday like a Diego Costa headbutt. I'm Jim Salverson and it's Marley Anderson on the podcast today. How are you doing, Marley? I'm doing very good. Um, I've just found out that Steve Bruce has yet again been sacked. Um, so Has he? I didn't know he had a job at the moment. Yeah, so. he was sinking West Brom faster than the Titanic. They were 22nd <laughs> in the championship. Um, obviously, one of the should be should be second rather than 22nd. But uh, yeah, Steve Bruce has done Steve Bruce things and uh, he's gone. So happy days. <laughs> Wolves fans be very afraid. And Joel Tudor on the podcast as well. How are you doing, Joel? I'm good, thanks. I didn't even know Steve Bruce had a job either, so I think that just shows what's going on in his situation. (laughs) Well, today on the podcast, we are going to be looking back at last night's win for Manchester United and a 700th club goal for the machine that is Cristiano Ronaldo is the record holder. Not quite done yet when it comes to his club career. We'll get into that shortly. We're also going to be looking forward to another relegation six-pointer for Nottingham Forest. Could be a few of them in the next few weeks and later on this season. The Tricky Trees face fellow strugglers Aston Villa in tonight's Monday Night Football. We'll look ahead to that fixture in a little bit. But as we like to do on a Monday, let's kick off with a whinge. A bit of get in the sea. An excuse for a Monday moan to vent a bit of spleen and put something into the sea to be forever gone. I'm going to go first today, boys, because this... I'm, I'm good, I've got one moan, but I've got two points to my moan and both of my points contradict each other completely so I thought that'd be a decent place to start I don't know if you saw the news from the Wigan Cardiff game in the championship at the weekend did you catch what happened I did not I didn't see anything okay so Cardiff playing Wigan and it turned out before the game before kickoff that one of the goals was bigger than the other (laughs) by two inches which I'm not entirely sure how this happens, which is one of my moans in the first place. So I, I guess it was one of the goalkeepers warming up, put the hand up to like touch the post at the top and went, hang on, this doesn't feel quite right. Either I've shrunk or the goalpost is bigger. They've measured them and realised that one was bigger than the other. It was decided it was going to take two hours to investigate and fix the problem if they were going to change it. So both teams agreed that the game should go ahead anyway with one goal bigger than the other. which is kind of all right you kind of look at it and go that's fine because neither team particularly benefits from that they're going to play one half in each so it should all be fine Wigan won 
with a goal that came off the underside of the crossbar no, and no. went in the goal. The game, finished, to be. the game finished 3-1 in the end, which again is fine because they both agreed with it. Now, here is my slight moan. My one moan is, how does that happen? How, where did they even find a goal that was slightly bigger? Because <laughs> that must have been more difficult. And it must be the goals they use every single week. So I've no idea how it happened and it shouldn't happen in professional football. And it kind of makes lower league football look a little bit stupid. It was Cardiff that won, by the way, not Wigan. I got that the wrong way around. So that makes football look a bit stupid. That's a bit of a moan. My second moan is the fact that people are really getting bent out of shape over the fact that Cardiff won. Not because... More than the goalposts. The... <laughs> Bent Sorry? out of shit more than the goal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're, they're not getting, they're not complaining because Wigan lost, so it's not Wigan fans getting a bit of a hump. It's the fact that at the end of the season, and this is true, relegation, promotion, qualification to the playoffs, whatever it is, could be decided by a goal that arguably shouldn't have counted because it was scored off the underside of a crossbar in a goal where the posts were too big. So I think. It's just a ridiculous scenario that's happened in the first place. And now, because the game went ahead, and I completely get why it went ahead, because there were fans in the stadium, they didn't want to delay kickoff two hours. They've opened a massive can of worms that no doubt will result in teams at the end of the season opening legal investigations and looking for compensation and all that sort. So a ridiculous, farcical scenario by Wigan Athletic and potentially a bit of a problem for the FA going forward. That is my Monday moan. So I'm That just reminded me of, um, do you remember when Jose Mourinho had that picture underneath the goalpost? Uh, I can't remember what game it was now. He posted it to his Instagram. It was before a Roma game. And he was stood underneath the goal with his hand up. And he said, because he used to be a goalkeeper, I think, during his amateur days. And he said that he, he knew instantly that the goalpost was two inches lower in that game as well. Really? So it must be that goalkeepers seem to have like a, a feel for it. They know exactly where the post should be, even if it's out of sync by like yeah, two yeah. inches. They must have. Um, but that's, I, might, I have a big question about that. Imagine how long that's gone on for. And some goals have gone in purely on the basis of the goalpost being two inches smaller. I don't know. Like you say, I assume that if it had happened before, a goalkeeper would just notice it instantly because they're that instinctive. They know exactly where all four corners of their goal is. So I don't know. Someone's obviously sat on it. Something something very strange has happened at Wigan Athletic, but it's caused a load of problems. So that's getting in the sea for me today. But it's quite a funny story. And I thought I just worthy of a mention on today's Football Social Daily. So that's mine. Joel, what have you got for your Monday moan? Um, I've gone for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who did a... I don't know if it was a candid video. I don't know if it was one that he consented to, but it looked like it was to be the case. He was inside a, a hotel room with, I think, two friends, and they were just discussing what happened at Arsenal. And Aubameyang said a pretty interesting quote on Arteta. I think it's his most candid quote, I would say, on Arteta since he's basically left after all of that commotion when he actually left Arsenal a couple of years ago. And he said that big characters and big players... Arteta can't deal with it. He needs some young players who won't say anything. And for me, it's just kind of, is that saying of he who laughs first laughs last where I know Arteta at the time got massive amount of criticism for it. And at the time, rightly so, because Arsenal were in a really poor position where they were still really trying to clamber onto that fourth position. They didn't have any goal scorers. It meant that they had to rely on uh, Lacazette while he Mm -hmm. left. And at the time, he got pelters for it, and me included, because I was thinking, you know, this is your main talisman. How are you gonna, just going to let go of him because you've got a clash of egos? 
Um, but now we're kind of seeing the reasons why. I'm not saying Aubameyang was the main cause to all of their issues, far from it, but we're seeing that Arteta's young players are actually starting to buy into his ideas in the top of the table. And I don't always have great praise for Arsenal because, you know, it's just Arsenal, isn't it? But I think <laughs> when, when, you, when you see in the past, he's cut from the same cloth. I don't mean in terms of quality, I mean in terms of coaching as Pep Guardiola. And Guardiola was always a manager renowned for clashing with big egos. It happened yeah. at Barcelona when Zlatan Ibrahimovic was there. He was only there for, I think, a year, six months after he did the swap deal for Samuel Eto'o, who went to Inter Milan in the opposite direction. And Ibrahimovic has been very, very vocal on Guardiola um, in his books, biographies, interviews. I mean, when's Ibrahimovic not really <laughs> that kind of person, opinionated, but he even said how he just couldn't manage men. He couldn't manage egos, and he had to be him as the main guy, and he'd get rid of everyone else. And I feel like Arteta, because of his age as well as a coach, he's a pretty young coach, I feel as though he has a little bit of difficulty managing the more senior players who have a voice. And although Aubameyang's quote probably has a little bit of truth to it where he can't deal with the senior players who have a bit more of a bigger personality, it's showing as well that he likes the element of control and that's what he's got with these younger players who he can basically carve out and mould exactly what he wants from them and it's showing right now to be fair. So for me it's got to be getting the C from Aubameyang because he's He's been at Barcelona for six months. Barcelona thought, we don't need you anymore. Now he's at Chelsea. He's doing all right at Chelsea so so far, but Arsenal are having the last laugh at the moment, and I think that's why he has to get in that big blue sea. Isn't it just sour grapes from Aubameyang? I mean, I don't like this. I think it always leaves a bad taste when a player leaves the club and then starts bad-mouthing the previous regime, but it's sour grapes from Aubameyang that he has been let go. And also, does it matter? that Arteta can't manage big personalities. And like you say, it's a similar thing to Guardiola, that he doesn't want egos in that team because at the moment, they're top of the Premier League and it's yeah. working. And who wants big egos in your team? Like, if you have a big ego in a dressing room or in, even in a workplace in a normal job, most people don't like him. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Only only mm. hangers-on hang on to yeah. big egos. Like, it's they're not exactly like the life and soul of everything and dead important. The talent is what sets them apart and Aubameyang has it, but... He also has the this like uh, thing hanging on to him as well that he falls out with people who won't sort of pander to him. So it's kind of uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens to Chelsea. Put it that way, because there's already rumours of him leaving in the summer, and that shouldn't happen six weeks after you got to a club for the first time. I'm I'm hedging my bets that when Chelsea face Arsenal and Aubameyang scores, I want an Adebayor <laughs> celebration. I'm, I'm I need it in my life because that was just unbelievable. Oh that's must it must be one of the most iconic celebrations that he did. He because it was a tap <laughs> as well, so he had to run from the six yard box basically to the other end. And he, do you know do you know how quick he did it? He did it in eleven seconds. That's eleven bolt, seconds that's to run. Pretty much, I think a, a football pitch is about a hundred. It's about 100 yards, pretty much pretty much bang on. He must have run about 70 yards, and then the <laughs> knee slide was about 30 yeah. yards in itself. <laughs> oh, man, what a guy. Scenes. Absolute scenes. I think we can agree that it's okay to have an ego, but you have to earn the right to have an ego. Someone like Zlatan Ibrahimovic has earned that right. Aubameyang, with his current state and maybe the ability he had towards the end of his Arsenal tenure, maybe it's difficult for, to claim that he'd earned the right to have that big ego in that squad 
Marley, wrap us up. What is your Monday moan? Uh, my Monday moan is um, a little bit more of a serious one than, than Wigan's uh, dodgy nets. But um, yeah, it is. it comes from, um, from Spain yesterday. Um, and one of the most legendary, well, probably two of the most legendary Spanish players online being... Um, being idiots basically um comes from Ike Casillas obviously if you didn't see it he tweeted um he said I hope you all respect me but I'm gay and that was it that was that mm. was his entire tweet no no uh no context oh the context behind it was um that the Spanish press have been linking Casillas to different women every week when he's married I think um so I think he this is in relation yeah, to but that that wasn't made clear in his tweet was it like it was just yeah, exactly, just put exactly. out there and then once I've seen everybody going you know tweeting about it and being like oh you know massive respect to him and stuff it just it didn't it didn't f- sit right it didn't feel true um, and at that point I thought I hope it is true because that is something you just you can't joke about you, you, you don't joke about that it's not it's not obvious that you're joking Twitter and sarcasm does not mix it's like you know, adding petrol to uh, to a bonfire, it, it's not going to calm it down. It's not going to get understood. It's just going to blow up even more. Um, and then to make it even worse, Carl's Puyol re- responds and says, it's time to tell our story. So at that point, you're thinking two guys that have been, you know, rivals and captains of, of each club have, have been harboring a, a secret romance for like 20 years or something, or however long it might have been. So it... it uh, it's making a mockery of quite a serious issue, exactly. isn't it? Because we are still waiting for a big, high-profile footballer to come out as gay. And they are un- un- undoubtedly gay footballers still playing or playing in the top leagues in every corner of the world. But it still feels such a taboo topic, mm. completely out of kilter with every other form of work or life. It's like in football, it seems to still have this stigma attached to it. And this just doesn't help because they're they're making a mockery of the situation 100 yeah, percent. it's it's set back the the progress that was being made um recently over the last two years the progress has been pretty big you've had players like josh cavallo come out and he's the first sort of active gay player and um i think he's obviously received massive respect for it and and all the rest of it and then there's you know thomas hitzelsberger a few few years ago who's um who came out after mm. you know shortly after he retired and things like that and I think we were getting we were getting close I think I think um, it was starting to be more normal as it should be and it has it as it should have been for for many many years but for then for for such big big names I mean EKCS has got nearly ten million followers on Twitter like and then mm. twenty million on Instagram like and he didn't put it on Instagram as well thank God but still you know. He's, he's probably, you know, the most famous... He's probably Spain's best goalkeeper of all time, so he's he's one of them that um, should know better. And then his, his, um, his later statement said... Uh, claimed he was hacked, but, you know... Has he backtracked from that? No. He, well, I think that's as far as he's, he's put. Like, I was hacked, and um, sorry to the LGBTQ community and all the rest of it, and think, things like that. But it, it was paper thin, because to see you hacked and then get your account back an hour later, that's that's pretty quick. I mean, unless you've got your own team of IT cyber specialists and stuff like that. you It's just so weak. It's so obvious that he didn't get hacked. He just made a, a really poor taste joke. And really, really 
peed off a lot of people and that's rightly rightly so they should be peed off because this is it's just a topic you don't talk about and even if it was just uh, a joke between um friends like even if you'd said it to Puyol in the pub it's even at that level it's crap banter it's just poor banter it's not even mm. funny like why is why is that you how many points do you could you say oh this is maybe i shouldn't tweet this you've got so much time to to rethink it before you hit post um and nothing came over him with uh with any regards to sense um and he sent it and now his reputation's tarnished and and we sort of took a big backward step when we were making fairly decent progress I think that's the problem, though, isn't it? His reputation will probably not be too tarnished. It won't be damaged in any significant way. But it, like you say, it does put the 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 acceptance, I guess. It, it does give that a punch to the gut and puts that a step back further than it might have otherwise been. So, uh, yeah, Ika Cassius, get in the sea. Good at goalkeeping, bad at social media. We're going to talk about some Premier League action next. We're going to move on to tonight's game against Nottingham Forest versus Aston Villa. We're also going to talk about last night's game against Everton versus Manchester United in a bit on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We're going to be talking Forest versus Aston Villa now. It's Monday Night Football. And the news at the end of last week was Steve Cooper signing a contract extension to last him into the next five seasons. If you want to get involved in the conversation, then sign up to Telegram and get involved. Have a chat with us. Talk us through your footballing thoughts. Details at the top of our Twitter page, at FSDpod. You can find it there. So let's start off with that news. I mean, we touched on it last week when it was announced, but Cooper has signed a new contract at Nottingham Forest, keeping him there for a further five years, Marley. What's that going to do in the dressing room at this point? Because... Forest have been getting a bit of a battering week in, week out. Does it add a little bit of stability? Does it grow the confidence that at least they've got a man in the hot seat that they need to impress? Um, it's well, at, at least it settles the the landscape. <clears throat> um, it sort of proves as well that if they do go down, they um, they will stick with him because. It would be the most stupid thing ever if they sacked him in three or four or five weeks' time, or just even just before the end of the season. Like it makes no sense. Why would you give someone a contract and then, and then sack him? Because no one's no one's linked with poaching him. No bigger clubs are coming to poach Steve Cooper, because um, he hasn't proved it in the Premier League. And that's the that's mm. the fact of the matter. It doesn't matter how good a coach he's been in the Championship. Um, he's, no one in the Premier League's gonna line up to take him. He's not being linked with the. Uh, the vacant jobs going at the minute at um, at some of the other clubs like Wolves, for example. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's one of those where at least everybody knows at the end of the season. And I feel like with with the amount of players they've brought in, which is always what comes everything comes back to it with regards to Nottingham Forest. I think when when those players leave at the end of the season, if they uh, if they do go down. Cooper's there and he's probably the best place to, to deal with everything because you know if, if a player's been there for a year like Serge Aurier or Renan Lodi or Remo Fruller and all these Emmanuel Dennis all these types of people he's seen what he's seen what the club was like before they were there 
and then he can also put the club back together if they do want to leave in the summer um, like Lingard as well for example is another one um, so it's it's one of those where he's he's the best place to, whereas if you brought another manager in let's say at the end of the season um, it's it's a it, it's putting a lot on his plate to then go oh by the way seven are leaving uh, three more have got transfer requests in uh, and that leaves you with 14 actual players because that's just mm. giving the next guy so much to deal with that you get off on the wrong foot going into the next season as well so it's a good um, at least it sorts out the future of, of Nottingham Forest but in the meantime he's got to get some wins because they've been so poor this season so far so um, yeah it's uh, it's one of those it does buy him a little bit of time, I guess, Joel. I mean, a five-year contract, whether it actually means he's going to be there for five years or not, is a completely different matter. But what is his first job as Forest boss now? Is it that he needs to find his best first eleven from all these players that have been coming in? And how does he do that? Does he keep on chopping and changing it and trying new things till something sticks? Or does he try and get a bit of consistency into that team to see if the players can gel? Well, I think he needs to first and foremost think about well, how he's wanting to play and then just fit the players that do that into what his team is. I'm sure he's trying that every single week now. And it's not even been about lack of scoring goals because in their last six goals, they've all, four of them have come in 3-2 defeats. So it's almost like they're being really reactionary in games and constantly trying to chase them rather than having a little bit more of a reserved approach and trying to start on the front foot because they, they're really shipping goals at the moment. So it clearly suggests that the defence is just not tight enough at all. Um, the contract did baffle me as well at the start because it clearly shows a massive sign of confidence. And I just really hope that if it gets really difficult this season and they start to go to an embarrassingly low level in the Premier League, are the, are the owners still completely content that no matter what happens this season they're sticking with him regardless of if it's in the championship or the Premier League next season because they must have done a really calculated risk analysis and thought well it doesn't matter what happens because we would have to pay him off millions if we are to sack him after this contract so I think it shows to me that regardless of what happens this season they're going to back him either way um, so I think it kind of gives him a little bit of a free ride this season. I don't feel, or he shouldn't feel, too much pressure that he was feeling maybe before when there was reports of he could be sacked and he might mm. get to the end of uh, November, beginning of November time and is he going to stay, is he going to go? Because I know that's what was happening in the last couple of games and I'm sure he was thinking, do the owners think that they want to switch or not and I think this this contract basically gives him free ticket just try and experiment go for what team you want to try because the only the owners acknowledge as well I'm, I'm sure the smart guys and girls that the tra transfer strategy in the summer was sporadic it's never been done before it's the highest number of players ever bought in a summer so with that being said, you've got to have a little bit of patience with the guy who's got to then mould it all together. So I think it is only fair, to be honest. I think it would be even more harsh to bring in another manager who then has to try and do that job as well, because it is going to be tough for anyone to do. Um, but yeah, they're just, they're just lacking, I think, a little bit of potency in the forward line, because they do have a lot of good attacking players. I mean, Lingard, I've not heard his name since he signed. And he was one of the more better players at West Ham. Mm. Obviously, he was in the fringes. He's just been when I've seen Forrest playing, Lingard has just been ambling around the pitch, mm. just completely disinterested in what's going on. And that might be a little bit of West Ham bias and 
me being upset with him because <laughs> he rejected us and went to Forest instead. But he just doesn't look interested. Yeah, I, I just think that he, they need to have a system that brings him out then if he is going to be a focal point in that team. And this is why I'm saying there's just there's so many players with so many different qualities that time is really of the essence to try and find some kind of system that brings out the best in each individual mm. one. Maybe that means Lingard isn't the player to start in their team. Maybe he is. I don't know what they're, pl- they're planning for it. But like I say, at this stage of the season, it's all a matter of perspective because Aston Villa, they're currently in the table a little bit higher than Forrest in 16th with eight points. It probably feels a little bit more safer. But if Forrest win this game, they go with seven points out of the relegation places. Suddenly they're three points off Liverpool. So everything kind of changes. It shifts like a mm. pendulum swing at the moment. And that's probably why the Forest owners have looked at the situation and thought, this is not as bad as what the whole kind of media storm is making it out to be. Because one win suddenly catapults your club into a bit of a rosy daydream of not having too much pressure on your side so for me it all comes but obviously their form is really alarming so they need to click into place quickly does that mean it's too early to call this must win then Marley because last week it was Leicester City and that felt like it was a must win game for both Cooper and Rogers. got Aston Villa tonight then it's Wolves next weekend but then the run of games for Forest doesn't look very favourable they got Brighton Liverpool Arsenal, a game against Brentford, Brentford, which is arguably potentially winnable, then Spurs. So they've got a tough run coming up. They, Although one win can make a huge difference at the moment, they do need to start picking up points pretty soon, don't they? They, they do. Um, I think last week it was manager against manager um, about who might be sacked mm. with uh, with his scrap with uh, Brendan Rodgers. This week it's Gerard who's been talked about getting sacked as well. Then it's Wolves who have just sacked their manager. So... It's almost like uh, <laughs> like six-pointer after six-pointer sort of thing. But if they lose the next two, I mean, then I think they're, they're pretty much done for because um, they. I, I don't see how I don't see where they're good enough to pick up points. I don't don't think they're particularly creative in midfield, despite having Lingard and Gibbs White, who are two of the biggest waste of money I've ever seen. Um, up front, they're not strong enough. At the back, they're not strong enough. Henderson's had a really poor start to the season in my opinion so something needs to change um, they need to dig in their home form is going to be key to be fair um, always was it always is for new clubs coming up into the Premier League um, that is where you get two thirds of your points basically but two thirds of 30 isn't enough so it's not um, it's not enough now to to sort of pick and choose your games you've got to you've got to hit everything everything with everything you've got and Aston Villa tonight is the perfect example because they they're still one step forward two steps back at the minute they they haven't found any consistency yet and they're trying to find the best team and the best performances um, and they haven't done it yet so it's a chance for, for Forrest to get something on the board and pick up their I think it'd be the second win of the season which could give them a little bit more uh, bite going into the Wolves game next week as well there is a little bit of progress from an Aston Villa point of view. They've got five goals in, sorry, five points from their last three games. So it's starting to pick up slightly. But I think Aston Villa fans are getting frustrated, Joel. They see the wealth of talent that is within that squad, particularly from an attacking perspective. And they're just not seeing it. They're not seeing the goals. They're not seeing the attacking play. They were incredibly negative against Leeds. So can you understand why those, why those, why those Aston Villa fans are feeling frustration? 
Yeah, and I think we've said it since the start of the summer, really, or at the end of the summer when they made all of these pretty star-studded signings, some pretty impressive ones like Camarad, um, Diego Carlos, obviously Coutinho, um, when they, I think they agreed a fee in January, February time. These are all players that have played in some of the biggest competitions, um, top quality players, and we thought he was assembling a really talented side and one that could potentially start breaching maybe the top 10 top 8 and it just seems to be the complete opposite where although they're on track to get five points from three matches which is pretty decent um it's just the fact that the play style is just not one that's easy on the eye at the moment there's just not a lot going in the games for them and that does come down as well to the coaching because he does have like i say a really talented group of players um, and if they aren't to get a result tonight, I think the pressure on Gerard is going to be immense because I don't think the Villa hierarchy have got a lot of patience when it comes to wanting results quickly because they've invested a lot of money in the last two to three years. Um, even when I thought Dean Smith was going to be pretty safe, they, they thought we need to quickly change this up because I think they are worried that like um, teams in the past have done where they've invested a ridiculous amount and they suddenly go down. It's not the best scenario to be in. So I think for for Villa, it's just all about getting a little bit of momentum again because they have the team to, to they have a team that is better than what they actually are. And I feel personally, I don't think that Gerard is the man to actually unlock this potential out of them. I feel like they do need a more experienced manager because managing in Scotland and winning as good as it was and as good as his team was there. This is a completely different proposition because they're now the underdogs rather than the team that bullies everyone in Scotland. And that's a really different challenge in itself. So I think for them, you know, when you look at the starting lineup and you've got you know, Louise, Watkins, Ings, Wendia, these are all players who are, are top quality and I just think he needs to get way more out of it. So tonight could be a very pivotal turning point for, for Gerard if he doesn't manage to get some kind of result today. It's funny, isn't it? Because you look at the Aston Villa squad and if you were going to point to a weakness you'd say defensively is maybe where they're less capable than in other positions but then they haven't got a player who scored more than one goal in the Premier League this season so clearly they're struggling going forward and whether that's the personnel or whether it's the tactics I don't know it's difficult to really tell which is which but how do you see this game going then it's Forest versus Villa Monday night football is it going to be Forest's escape to victory Marley? Uh, I think it's one for the football purists because if you're sitting down watching uh, Nottingham Forest Villa on a Monday night, you've you've clearly got a little bit of an empty calendar. But uh, <laughs> um, I think it'll be a, a, a scrappy, scrappy game. I think I can see Villa edging it. To be fair, I think maybe one nil mm. or, or two one would would be my uh, my guess. But again, if if it's uh, if it's Forest at home, you you have to get at least a point there. How about you, Joel? Do you think uh, it's going to be a Aston Villa three-pointer? I'm fancying Forest for this one. I think this could be a game where they actually okay. get a few points on the board and start getting a little bit of momentum. I think for Villa, they've just been really disappointing, although they are they are in good form at the moment. So that could be potentially a little bit of a, a momentum for them. But I do think I fancy Forest today. Well, let's see how it looks tomorrow when we look back at the game and see who's right, Joel or Marley. We'll pick it up on tomorrow's Football Social Daily. But we're going to talk about Everton versus Manchester United next and Ronaldo scoring his 700th club goal. 
Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We're going to finish off today's podcast with a look back at Everton versus Manchester United. All the other games from the weekend were covered off by Fergal and the team last night on the podcast. So if you want to check out any of the other games, spin back in the timeline and you can find that. But there was a unprecedented late Sunday kickoff. I don't think I've ever seen a kickoff this late on a Sunday before. For Everton versus Manchester United, it finished Everton 1 Manchester United too, but the big talking point was Cristiano Ronaldo's 700th club goal. Does that prove in any way, Joel, that Ronaldo still has a part to play in this Manchester United team? I don't think he's got a choice because Martial can't <laughs> seem to get fit at the moment. Um, of course, he'll always have a part to play. I mean, just looking at it yesterday, he got himself in the right position. He's, he'll always be a great finisher no matter what age he is. It just is a time where he's everyone accepts he's not what he used to be but everyone needs to respect what he is which is the greatest goal scorer that's ever played the game um to get 700 goals in your club career which averages at 35 goals a season that's not normal that's abnormal i think for any normal player to get 35 just in any of their campaigns everyone would probably say wow like what an incredible season and yet him uh, Ronaldo and Messi they've both just completely dwarfed any kind of previous records and they've blurred the lines between what's normal and what is just ridiculous and I think those two have just set the bar so high that any normal season normal season now we're going to be looking back in a few years time and thinking how did them two manage to do that when we can't even mm. get a player to get 35 40 a season for two seasons in a row um so I think, especially for that second goal, it was just made in Madrid, wasn't it? Where Casemiro put a through ball back into Ronaldo and it just seemed to roll back the ears a little bit. And I definitely don't see him leaving in January just because, like I say, the options are basically little to none, especially considering we can't really rely on Anthony Martial to stay fit for more than a month. And he will have, obviously, the World Cup as well. I think, like I mentioned in the podcast last week, I just felt as though, and it's pretty common knowledge that a striker needs goals to keep his confidence up and I think with this goal who knows it might end up giving him a little bit of a swing going into the next few games a little bit of a bounce in his step because in the last few games that I've been watching him he's been snatching at absolutely everything and he's been just so desperate to get on the score sheet that he's just not doing what he usually does which is super calm and collecting in front of goal and the team not having to constantly look for him all the time, which seemed to be the case. It almost felt like a charity match, trying to find him and get his goal off the mark. But it was encouraging, and you know he won the game for us. Those those are three massive, massive points um, because before the game and at the start of the game, when I saw Everton go ahead, I was just thinking this is just going to be a long, hard slug again, which it shouldn't need, shouldn't have needed to be. Uh, mm. But the, it was just largely a really dominant performance. I was actually impressed after the um, after the reaction for their goal. So for me, it was just a, a good evening, one of the better evenings I think Ten Hag's had in his United career so far. Casemiro looked decent as well, didn't he? I mean, he struggled for form since coming to Old Trafford, but he started to show glimpses of the player you actually signed. Yeah, for large portions, 
it was strange. I saw an Ancelotti quote, actually, which was that he can play the most ugly and the most beautiful game at the same time. And it is actually so true because, obviously, he was at fault for the first goal. He just seemed to think he had about 10 hours on the ball. Maybe in La Liga that probably would have been given as a foul. That's what I'm thinking. I think he just needs to get up to speed with the speed of the Premier League and just how referees actually deal with those kind of tackles. But... Yeah, he's just very, very slick in midfield. He breaks up play so well. And he was the cause of our second goal, which was intercepting Iwobi early in our half. And then straight away, through ball to Ronaldo. And it's a goal within five seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we're starting to see glimpses, glimpses of what he can do best, which is breaking up play. And I think at Real Madrid, he didn't even need to be on the ball as much because he had Modric and Tony Crows basically dictating play met like metronomes. Whereas I think in this United side, he's probably wondering that why he needs so much on the ball because he's usually a guy who just oversees things. That Real Madrid side just did what they needed to do, completely swarm their opponent. Whereas at United, he's going to be probably needed a little bit more in terms of the possession play. Um, and so that's why I think once he gets a little bit more minutes under his belt and starts to adapt to the rhythm of play, he'll be he'll come good. But I think it was really inc- encouraging signs yesterday. Speaking of Carlos Ancelotti, Everton missed the chance against Manchester United to win three games on the bounce, and they haven't won three games on the bounce since Ancelotti was in charge at Goodison Park, Marley. Is that a sign of how bad things have got at Everton, that they can't seem to put any wins together they can't find any form they're kind of stuck in this mid-table rut uh yeah i suppose i mean that's that's where everything have been for the last um two years is it like well second season since forever (laughs) it seems yeah it's um it's yeah it's one of the consistencies the hardest thing to have in in you know what everyone says is the best league in the world so it's not easy to win to win three games in a row is 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 tough because um, you're always going to get someone who's who's high in the table in those three games. Really, it's very rare you get you get to play against twentieth, nineteenth, and eighteenth in a row, um, and and you beat them all fairly comfortably. But yes, yeah, so it's hard to do. Um, the most important thing for Everton is they they do seem to have picked up a little bit um, in recent weeks. You know, winning the previous two was was great for them because I think it was becoming the same old it was becoming last season again where they looked easily relatively easily to beat and hard you know tough uh, having a tough time scoring goals and and that uh, that same problem that that nearly got them relegated last season but i think the last couple of uh, weeks have, have produced something i think um tarkowski and cody have, have really helped them at the back the midfield looks a lot more balanced and athletic now with um onana in there who looks a, a really decent player um, and they've got a bit of bit of threat about them, but I think they are still going to lose more games than they win this season. But as long as they can, you know, pick up enough points, particularly at home, sim- much much similar to Nottingham Forest, as I was saying before, their home form again is is huge for them. So I think they can, as long as they finish away from the relegation zone by, you know, ten, twelve points, they should be happy with with what they're doing, especially with the financial restrictions around the club and the uh, the new stadium coming as well. They've only scored eight goals this season so far, which is down the bottom end in terms of goal scoring. There's only Nottingham Forest and Wolverhampton Wanderers and Aston Villa actually that have scored less. But we did see Dominic Calvert-Lewin back on the pitch last night, came on the 
76th minute after a long time out with injury. Can he be the spark that kicks Everton's season into gear a little bit? Yeah, because Neil Mopé is not the striker you sign when you're struggling to score goals because he misses chance after chance. He might score one absolute belter, but he's missed four sitters previous to it. So we've seen that at Brighton. Um, when he moved from Brentford to Brighton um, a couple of years ago, he was... He's got everything he needs to be a decent striker. I think you know he's quick. He's sort of nippy. He's a bit annoying. He's a bit hard to, um, hard to sort of keep a keep under wraps. But he doesn't score enough goals. And and Calvert Lewin brings something else because he's sort of all round athletic. He's he's fantastic in the air. Um, he's decent touch, decent speed, good strength. So he's um, and also he's got ambitions to go to the World Cup and he's run out of time really bloody quickly. So. He's only got about five weeks to uh, mm. to sort that out and, and to get on the score sheet and show some type of form, um, <clears throat> and maybe get on that plane to to Qatar. But that seems like a too big of a big of a uh, ask if you ask me. But if um, if there's injuries and stuff, the the door could be ajar and and you could be uh, you could be on the way. But it's more important for him, I think, to help Everton get. Uh, Get a few more wins, get up the table, get towards mid-table, and then and then you can sort of kick on from there. As I said, arguably the big story from last night was Cristiano Ronaldo and his 700th club goal. So I thought we'd finish today's Football Social Daily with a little bit of goal scorer higher or lower. It was Ronaldo's 700th goal for club, as I said, but that is 817 career goals when you take into account his international goals as well. And I've got a few other legendary strikers. I want you to tell me whether they've scored more goals than the one previous or less goals than the one previous. Does that make sense? Yes. It's like, it's like yeah. you're dumbing down the quizzes because we're both so bad at them. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> well spotted. What can I get these two idiots to get right? I'll give, <laughs> yeah, them, I'll give them higher or lower. Next week, it's, it's a true or false. guessing game. <laughs> so... You've got Cristiano Ronaldo at 817 career goals, so it should be easy to know where we're going from here as he's the record holder. Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Is he higher or is he lower, Joel? Lower. Of course he is. 560 goals. So we've got a benchmark now. Hungarian legend Josef Bikan. Mali, higher or lower? Oh, hang on, right. So Joel gets the one which can only have one answer and I get the actual question. I see where this Still is 50, going. Still 50-50, mate. Uh, yeah, but Marley, you could have said Pele and then I would have had to count all his garden goals. <laughs> Very true. Um, the Hungarian fella, I'm going more. It is less. In fact, it's the club goal Classic. record that he just overtook <laughs> and it was 720 goals in all competitions, both international and club. So next, 720... So, so, yeah, so that's more than Zlatan. Oh, yeah. Sorry, you're right. Ah, yeah, I'm having that point. See, yeah, how, I, see how these quiz masters are against us. I will fight you right. for this point. I will have it. <laughs> okay, next up. Pele. <laughs> oh, no. No, no, Higher no, or no, lower no. than 720? <laughs> Wait, club goals are all competitions. International and club. Oh, more. Just 762. Wait, hold up. In his in his Instagram bio, it says like 1,289. Yeah, it's, it's not the ones he scored in his back garden and stuff. Like. We're not <laughs> counting those in this particular scenario. Right, next up, fellow Brazilian Romario. Less or more? Uh, less less than Pelé, but, but probably more ones that actually counted. But yeah, less. <laughs> less. 
Only just less than Pele, 755 career goals for Romario. So not too far off. He was incredible. He was incredible. Next up, Joel, Alan Shearer. Less. So that would be too quickly for my liking there, mate, but you should have heard. Sorry, I, I know I should I should have taken mm, could it be? Cons- if you if you do shoulder Amiobi, then I might deliberate. <laughs> That's what a I was hoping this quiz will end on. <laughs> Considering he is still the Premier League top goal scorer, he only has three hundred and thirteen goals league and international, which pales into significance to the, some of those other names in there. We'll do one final one off the back of Alan Shearer. Wayne Rooney. Is this, is this for me? It is, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, less. Less, yes. 290. Do you know why that is? Because he wasn't as good. And also <laughs> played not a lot of... Didn't he play his entire lot. career as a centre forward either, did he? <laughs> Which makes a bit of a difference. <laughs> there we go. I've no idea who won, but well done, everyone. Good game. Well played. Erling Haaland, by the way. It? I worked out... No, it was, no, it was me. I would. How did you work that out? Because I got the... You got one what wrong, did I get wrong, didn't you? Oh, did Jim correct you on it? I corrected you. Oh, no, he Jim. corrected you. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the loser yeah, here, no, Jim. Well, I think it's a draw. I think it was a draw. So well done, both of you. You can share the spoils oh, we need a time in today's break. game. I'm sharing that in the Telegram group because <laughs> I've got a guy on my case waiting to win a, you, a quiz. You get on it. And you can get on the Telegram group as well, like I said earlier. Details of how to join on our Twitter, FSD Pod. That is it for today's podcast. We'll see you next time. Good stuff.